Tonight I'd like to speak about emotions, a subtitled Finding Their Place in the Nature of Things. And I find that it's often a good topic to talk about on the third or fourth day of a retreat because what I hear is that lots of people start reporting (laughs) about some emotional movement that starts to arise at this point. So I'd like to address that a little bit tonight. I've been living in Devon, in Totnes, in England, for the last couple of years. I've been uh, involved with the Gaia House retreat center there, along with Christopher. And we've just moved into a new facility. Well, I think we're moving into our second year now. It was an old convent that we've converted into this really wonderful meditation center. And the meditation hall is the old chapel. Of course, we stripped everything out. And we had to make some decisions about what we were going to put in the meditation hall, particularly up here at the altar. And so it was decided that we wouldn't have any Buddha images. So when you go into the meditation hall there at Gaia House, what you see at the front of the hall is just a table with some lovely plants on them. There's no images at all, no Buddha images. And one of the reasons we made that decision is because it's so easy to project, as Christopher was talking about last night, it's so easy to project our ideals about what it means to meditate or to reach a certain state in our meditation by how it appears in that image, in that statue. And it can seem as if the Buddha sitting there is sitting in a state that is completely unmoving, completely still, undisturbed, undistracted, like nothing is happening in the experience whatsoever. And we could imagine that that is supposed to be what we're supposed to be like. Sitting in this state, completely still, unmoving, where nothing is impacting us at all. Not feeling, not thinking, no thoughts, thoughts not moving, no feelings moving, that detached, unengaged way of being with life. I'm not sure this is actually what goes on in anyone's meditation, no matter how evolved or enlightened they are if one is in touch and really awake with life, engaged with life, not shut down, not in a trance, but here, present. It might be that you might project that same thing onto us up here as teachers, as we're sitting, that we are in this completely still and unmoving state. Now, I haven't actually checked it out with Christopher (laughs) or with Andrew to know what is actually going on with them, but my sense is, at least I know from my own experience, that isn't the case, that actually there's quite a lot going on. But what's really more important is how we're relating to that, what we're doing with it, what's our view of it, our way we're holding it as it arises. It's true that through the meditation there can be an experience of feeling more calm or cooled out or or relaxed or more at ease in oneself. And it certainly is that through the arising and the building of some concentration and some one-pointed attention through the meditation, 
that there is there is a kind of unifying or a, or a softening, a stabilizing of that emotional life. And the more that one does intensive practice, if one was on a month-long or a two-month-long retreat and really doing very um, uh, traditional samadhi or concentration practices, it's likely that one would come into a rather uh, still and calm place. It's possible. It's not for everybody, but it's possible. So through the concentration, it is possible to have those inner movements of mind, of body, of feelings, emotions, to still, to quiet themselves. And some people are attracted to meditation because they actually want that. They want more and more that way of not having to deal with the kind of the challenge or the emotional turmoil that one meets in their life. That meditation, in a way, can provide a kind of relief, or we might say even escape at times. But I think it's important to ask ourselves if we are actually using it as an escape. (coughs) I mean, an escape to the point that we don't want to have to engage or to feel or to know certain mind-body experiences, to have to meet life in a particular way. Because people can use the meditation as a way to numb out or to move into a state where they feel nothing. They feel nothing. And some people might really welcome this. They don't want to feel anything. They don't want to engage. They don't want to be involved. They want to be more detached and cooled out and, and, and find a way out of that. But I'm not sure this is really what we're pointing to or what we're teaching. What we're more interested in is is an engagement, is a meeting life, of a knowing life, not being afraid, not hiding out, not pulling away, but to be able to be fully in life and to be able to meet that in a way that we're not thrown off by it. We can, we can meet life in a way that we can stay rather grounded and centered in that and meet it. it even if we reach or we start to move into these quite concentrated and still states of mind, and there may be that temporary relief from the emotional life or the mental life, which is what happens, the world still comes back. And I think that some people are often surprised by, you know, they they can reach a fairly still state in themselves, but perhaps there hasn't been much insight, much, much understanding about oneself and one's mind states and one's emotional life. And so when they go back into the world, they're met again with all the things that they left right there. And there's this uh, story that exemplifies this that was told to me by one of my teachers, my teacher in India, who loved to tell stories. He told the story of a king, a king who was very dedicated to his dharma practice. And he was wandering. He wanted to, he didn't want to spend time at the palace or with his duties. He just wanted to wander and get very deeply in touch with his dharmic understanding. And so he's wandering, and he went to this house of this peasant family, and they knew he was a king, and they welcomed him in, and they were very happy to have him there. And he sat down, and he, was say, he said, may I have a glass of water? And just as he asked that, he dropped into this incredible state of samadhi, of concentration, a trance, bliss. And he was gone, he was in that. A day went by, a week went by, still in this trance. 
and the people in the house were really concerned and you know he, they knew he was the king they really wanted to take care of him so they kept honoring what was going on for him a month went by six months went by he still was sitting there and then one day his eyes opened he looked around saw where he was and said well, where is that glass of water It's really a question of how much insight, how much usefulness to a certain extent that particular state is. Perhaps at that time it was very blissful, it was very uh, uh, disembodied to a particular extent, he didn't have to deal with very much during that time. But as soon as he came back out, right there, what happened? <laughs> Had to deal with it. Deal with that moment, with that next moment. It was right there. So the world comes back. The world of birth, the world of sickness, of aging, of death, the world that we have to live in. The world of finance, financial responsibilities, family responsibilities, all the things that all of us here know very well that we have to deal with. So a question that sometimes people ask, they say, well, well, you know, we talk about emptiness and letting go and not self. We talk about all these concepts. But what about when I get really fearful and really jealous and full of rage and all this desire and lust and longing arises. What do I do with that? You know? Because in a way, we do have to start where we are. If we have made the decision not to be monastics, not to leave the world, to enter into some kind of uh, intensive meditation training, perhaps in a cave or whatever, wherever it is to... to um, let's say, escape the world, then we're here. You know, we're lay people, we're householders, we're dealing with the day-to-day. So then how do we meet this? How do we meet it? I was doing a group with some people in Totnes, and this one man said, well, if I'm centered in myself, I won't have these strong reactions. I won't have all this fear and anger. So what can I do so this won't happen? What can I do so this won't happen? And my sense was that that's the wrong question. What to do so this doesn't happen? To me, it was like the, uh, a, a joke that I heard from Steve Martin, who, who said, um, how do you become a millionaire? Well, first you get a million dollars. Then, you know, there's a few things that, are, that have to take place before you get to that point. You know, you can't say, well, well if I was centered, then it w- wouldn't happen, so how do I get centered? So they don't have these strong feelings, these strong emotions. There's, there's a few things that have to be understood along the way. So I think that the question is more about understanding that we don't need to get rid of the emotions, but rather, how can I not be controlled by them? How can I not be overwhelmed in my life by these emotions? So that we don't actually create a separation, or we don't set up some kind of ideal in our practice that the emotional life, when we start to feel into these strong feelings that we can have as we get quiet and settle into ourselves, that these emotions are somehow a distraction or an obstacle to our practice or to our understanding or to our insight, but that actually there's a way to accommodate this whole movement of our being Mm -hmm. and come into some wise relationship with them so that they're not something that we feel so ruled by and overpowered by. 
So this is the truth for most of us of our experience now. This is what we're dealing with. So what do we do? The first thing I just want to be sure that we all understand what we mean or what I mean. We're all agreeing on what is meant by emotions. What do we mean by emotions? Because I can make the assumption that everybody here understands, but I've learned not to do that. The way that I describe or understand emotions is that they are the waves or the ripples that run through the mind and the body. It can manifest through the mind as thoughts or moods or images. And there can be a bodily response or bodily experience which, which arises through strong sensation, sometimes subtle sensation. But actual physio- physiological sensations that we can feel in the body. If we feel angry, what might happen is that there is movement in the mind of different uh, uh, memories of something that happened in the past, comments about that in the present, moving into the future, mind moving around that, with the, with the body starting to get quite contracted and constricted, the stomach tightening, the heart beating, the hands getting clenched or tight, the throat getting tight, the face getting hot, Uh, jaw constricting, shoulders constricting. There's a whole physiological response that comes with that. This is what I'm calling the emotions, that the movement of the mind, the ripples of the mind and the body as they move together. These emotions are natural and they're appropriate. They're an appropriate response to being in this life, in this existence. And each emotion has their own nature. They have their own personality. There are the difficult ones that are quite painful in their subtlety, but they can be absolutely blinding in their intensity. And there are pleasant sensations that can be quite soothing and calming in their subtlety but actually could be very overwhelming in their intensity. With fear, it can be something like very mild anxiety, just restlessness or mild agitation that moves through mind and body. And as it moves to something more and more intense, it can be so, so, so strong that we can find ourselves lying catatonic on a sofa not being able to move. A whole range of fear. We can experience it in so many different ways. With anger, we can experience just as mild irritation, which is just that agitation, restlessness that moves through mind-body. But as it gets more and more and more intense, we can find ourselves in rage, where the mind is blinded. We can't even see clearly. And it can lead to very heedless and, and, and inappropriate action because we don't, we don't see, we don't know what we're doing. Even pleasant emotions can be something very, very calm in its mildness. But as it gets more intense, as it gets stronger, we can feel this ec- ecstatic kind of overwhelming feeling in ourselves where we're just buzzing. And it can also be blinding in a way we, we lose touch. We're not fully, fully there with it. So each of these emotions takes on a different, different flavor. They have their own nature. They have their own way of manifesting in our mind and our body. So if we allow life in, if we allow life to touch us, if we feel the impressions through the sense doors, the sense contact, and we let it in, and we don't suppress it, and we don't cut it off, then how is it that we are not overwhelmed by it all? That we're not confused by it all? Because I think this is a concern for many people, that if I really let it in, if I really start to open to what's going on within myself, I won't be able to handle it. It'll just be so strong that it'll just take over. 
and I don't know what's going to happen. It's too scary. It's too fearful. Well, the first thing that I want to say is that sometimes we will get overwhelmed by it. We will get quite confused by it. The consciousness will fill up so powerfully powerfully that we won't have any space at all in the mind. We will be consumed by it. This will happen. And everybody here, I'm sure, has experienced this in some way, where we lose touch, we lose a sense of presence, we lose some sense of awareness or even wisdom around what's happening, and we feel completely caught. It's got us. We feel gripped by that arising. And in that moment, we are aware, well, we may not even be aware, but we, we know that we have no resources to call on. There's nothing we can do. We feel completely helpless in the face of that. There's nothing we can do. And what happens is that the reason that we, there's nothing we can do is because the mind, the consciousness is so filled that there's not even any real ability to see what's going on. And the only way that we can begin to help ourselves, we can begin to make some change to bring about some transformation, is if there is some space in the mind. If there's, if there's some crack in consciousness, <laughs> there has to be some space or there's nothing we can do. We are completely caught. We're completely consumed. And that's why the power of awareness, the power of meditation that we're doing here is so important because we're attempting to to crack that solidified way of being, the solidified way of viewing, so that there's the potential for some space potential for some light, some way of viewing that might be different than the way that we've been viewing. Otherwise, we get so solidified around that pattern, around that, that conditioning from, that, from our past, that we're not able to see any way around it. We're just caught. And so there's no reason to get down on ourselves. There's no reason to feel guilty or to feel judgmental towards ourselves because in that moment of helplessness, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can draw on unless there is that glimmer of awareness, glimmer of light, some space where there's the possibility for some movement seeing something differently. And this is why so many people are walking around on this earth just caught up in these rigid patterns of being because there's no possibility for any change. It's not until through some kind of grace or some kind of of understanding through something that the mind starts to... to (laughs) The only word I can come up with is crack... (laughs) some kind of crack in that solidified view. And what shows itself, what, what, what shines through that crack is the light of awareness, is the possibility for some change. I think it's really important to understand this because so often we get so so hard on ourselves, so judgmental towards ourselves through when we fall when we fall into these very difficult mind states and these very difficult emotional states, we fall into the whole once again. The whole of these old patterns. We get we get so so many people get so irritated with themselves. But what we don't see is that there isn't much we can do when we get so filled up. All we really can do is see if, if there is some, some space to bring in some kindness, some patience, which sometimes there isn't even that because of the, the, the solidification. 
But if, if we're able to bring in some element of gentleness towards what we see in ourselves, that's a huge beginning. So we're not just caught in that solidified pattern of judgment and self-hatred and condemning towards ourselves of what we see. So we do this practice, and it's very repetitious and sometimes very uh, confusing why I just sit and walk and sit and walk and follow my breath and uh, you know, listen to sound and listen, feel, feel painful feeling, sensations in my body. But we do it again and again and again and again. Come back, come back, come back to the present. Feel some sense of space, of awareness. Be here. And by doing it enough, you know, it's like, it's like trying to break down a brick wall. You know, you get the sledgehammer out and you hit the wall. And the first time, it's very solid. You hit the wall again, it's very solid. You hit the wall again. And you might be hitting that wall for about an hour, and it's just so solid. You think, why do you know, I give up. I'm not going to do this anymore. I say, okay. One more try. And you pick up that hammer and whack, and the whole thing just collapses. Just needed one more. One more attempt. I mean, we're working with some very strong patterns in ourselves. And so we do have to draw on any resources that we possibly can until the mind starts to open out a bit more till there is some awareness, till, until there is some wisdom that starts to shine through in consciousness, into our being. And then more and more we can develop some resources. We can gain some understanding. Ah, thank you, I was waiting for that. The light. The crack <laughs> in the wall. <laughs> I had a feeling there was more light in this room. <laughs> so we have to be very patient, as I was just being for this last 20 minutes. <laughs> Maybe this is the time to read this, because I... I, find, I think I'm going to have a whole lot more to say tonight than I have time for. So, This is from Rumi, Poems of Rumi. It's a translation by John uh, Moyney and Coleman Barks called The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. So we try to meet our experience as it comes. We try to meet it, if we can. If there is some wisdom, if there is some knowing, if there is some understanding, we attempt to meet that at the door the difficulty, as well as the pleasure, all of it as it moves through. We see if we can meet it. What's a skillful way to work with our emotional experience so that we don't get so overwhelmed by it? We have to start with this awareness. If there isn't the awareness, there's really not much that can be done. We have to start there. In Pali, the word for mindfulness, or sometimes I use awareness, mindfulness interchangeably, the word is sati. It means mindfulness. 
And I was just reading a definition of that by uh, Ajahn Buddhadasa, one of Christopher's teachers in his latest book. It was a, it's not his latest book because uh, he's actually, he actually died a few years ago, but it's, the, it's his last book. And there's a wonderful definition of sati, which is remembering. It's remembering, but not through memory. It's remembering, but not through memory. It's the awareness that recalls or brings back wisdom. I love that. It's the awareness that recalls or brings back wisdom. So through that meeting, through that acknowledging, through that knowing of what's happening, we bring our mindful attention to that, and it recalls our wisdom. We remember. So in that moment of meeting, there we are, with the potential to meet that with some wisdom, with some understanding. So the first thing is the awareness, is the mindfulness. And that means really knowing what's happening, acknowledging what's happening. Oh, I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling hurt or jealous. I'm feeling excited or happy. Really knowing that. What's happening? And then starting to understand it, trying to to get a sense of what does it mean when I feel angry. What is this? What is this anger? What is this sadness? What we find is that usually there's a story that's being generated. With any kind of strong emotion, there is some kind of story being generated in the mind. And it's so important to know this, to know that this is happening. Because this story is the fuel for the emotional life. If I keep my attention caught up in the story of past and the event or whatever it is that happened and go over it again and again and again and again, that keeps fueling the emotion. If I'm thinking about an argument that I've had with my partner and I'm going over it and over it and feeling the anger and I want to get out of the anger and I'm just thinking about it and thinking about it, all I'm doing is continuing to fuel the anger. It's just more and more. So the first thing I have to do is recognize that there is a story there. To really know that. And then to see, if we can, to understand how that's fueling the very emotion that I want to bring to an end. But we usually think that if I can figure out how to resolve this problem through the thought, that that's going to bring an end to the emotion. That's going to bring an end to the anger. That's going to bring an end to the sadness or the grief or whatever it is that we're feeling. Because that's usually all we know, is trying to find resolution through our thinking. Thinking about. But all we're doing is perpetuating the very thing that feels so difficult and so unpleasant. And that is the sensation that we're feeling in the body. The the sensations... The, the unpleasantness that we're feeling within ourselves. We want to get rid of it. So the mind, in its creative way, the only way that it knows, just keeps moving through all of time, past, present, and future, looking for some kind of resolution. But that's not where it's going to find resolution. That's not where it's going to find the answer. So we notice the the story going round and round and round. If there's some awareness, if there's some wisdom, what's very helpful to see if we can skillfully distract ourselves from that pattern of thought. And I like the word distraction because there's such a, a... uh, a theory or an idea that's carried in these, these, this tradition of, of not being distracted. But I think this is so important to distract ourselves. It's really important to distract ourselves from that agonizing, agitated, restless movement of our minds. And sometimes the distraction 
might be that we go out and we go for a walk, or we do some fast exercise, or we go out into nature, or we call a friend, or we, we um, turn on the TV, or we do something just to move away from that. Or in our meditation, it may be that we come down into our bodies and we really feel what's happening at the sensation level. What is occurring? Because usually when we're in thought, we are somewhat disembodied. We don't know that we have a whole body here that's responding to what's going on and actually feeling the difficulty and the stress of our thoughts. And so we bring our attention, we expand the awareness down into the body, and we feel that response. We feel the energetic response. Feel the heart beating. Feel the stomach tightening. Feel the, the, the muscles tightening the heat, the clenching, the the, the tightness in the throat, feeling all into that. This is a very helpful movement in in our meditation practice, to move away from the thought, to disengage ourselves from the thought if possible. And it's, very, it's a lot easier to disengage from the thought when there's the wisdom that knows that if I stay in the thought, it's like putting wood on the fire. The more that I think about something to try to get away from the fire, try to cool down the flames of our emotional life, is the very thing that's fueling it. The very thing that's making the fire hotter and more painful if we really know that and we see that clearly in our own experience, then it's possible, it's more easily to disengage. To say, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to keep thinking about that. I'm not going to keep giving that so much attention. And then bringing the attention down into the body, feeling the rest of the body. And then what we, what we notice is that it changes on, it changes on its own it starts to move on its own. That these feelings, these emotions, were not so solid. They're not so fixed. That there's a movement. They have the nature of movement, the nature of, of trans, transitoriness, the nature of insubstantiality. There's not really anything so solid there. But they move. And they pass through. Where is that rage that you were feeling yesterday? Where is that agitation you were feeling this morning? Where is that fear that you were feeling last night? We so often think, well, it's just sort of waiting there in the back, you know. And it's going to jump out as soon as I'm off guard. You know. We don't know. We don't know. Can we just meet this moment now? Right now, you just just use an example, you might be feeling calm and quite at ease and quite quite satisfied. Nothing impinging, nothing impacting. Just to be with that. Not to be afraid that this thing, this monster is going to jump out and get you later. It's not there. It's gone. So when we look more closely, we can see these things for what they are. That they're just passing moods, passing feelings. They're not so solid and maybe not so painful. And maybe they're not I. Maybe they're not even me. Because we can see how easy it is that when these emotions arise, say that I feel really jealous, something happened, and, and, I, and I notice just the arising of that jealousy in my mind. I say, oh, I'm really such a jealous person, and oh, I've really got to work on this pattern, and I'm going to have to go into therapy, and I can see this keeps coming up. And there's this whole construction and identification of our image around the arising of that sensation of that clenching of the stomach or the tightness of the throat. I am this terribly jealous person. And we wrap our identity, we build the sense of our self on top of that sensation. It's just like building a house. We, we build the houses that we live in. 
through the way that we think about, the way that we view these bare movements within our own being. We have the sensations in the body, then we have the thought about it. Heart palpitating, throat tightening, the thought about it. Oh, there's anger. Oh, I'm really an angry person. I'm an angry person because the way my father treated me when I was a child. And then we bring in our whole history of our life, built on top of that constriction in the throat. Maybe it isn't quite like that. Maybe these movements of the mind, movements of the body, aren't so personal. I mean, yes, of course we can say that's what I'm feeling in the moment, but what about in the next half hour? Can I say that's me? I feel the arising of anger. I'm really this angry person. Well, what about when it's not there? Are you still that angry person? What about just the movement or the wave of that experience that seems like anger, that gives rise to a sense of anger, and then it passes? Maybe in that moment I was feeling anger, there was anger, but it passes. Do I have to wrap my identity around that? Do I have to say that's me, that's who I am? If we really consider this, I mean, just think how many different waves, how many different mind moments, how many different feelings and emotions have moved through you since you've arrived here. (laughs) It's just, I mean, when we really look more closely at it, it's phenomenal. Some people say it feels like lifetimes that they've been here in three days. You know, when we really pay attention. But who are you in all of that? Which one are you? (laughs) Which one of those are you going to wrap your identity around and say, that's me? I don't know if we can do that. How can we find ourselves in any of that? You know, the mind scrambles around to try to find itself. And then if we don't do that, we might say, well, maybe I'm not all of that, but there's a core of me in there that it all refers back to. Well, have you taken a look at that? Have you found that? (laughs) Have you found that core of me or that kind of that solid sense of me where everything is referring back to? Maybe we can bring some doubt into this view. Is there that solid sense of myself that all of this refers back to? The movements of the mind, movements of the emotions, the ways that I construct that sense of who I am, Who is it all referring back to? When we look more deeply into this, perhaps we can find or we can know who we truly are so that we don't deceive ourselves. So we don't continue to live in delusion and deception about who we think we are, who I think I am, who you think you are. We can take a look. I want to um, 
I want to include this. This is a, a friend of mine sent an email to me. I love email. <laughs> Having such a good time with it. Um, a friend of mine just got back from uh, a trip to Colorado. He lived in Can lives in Canada. And he sent this uh, little story to me. He said, I wonder if Donna told you about our Denver escapade when the fuel pump on the Taurus gave out as we were starting west on the I-90. The person who came to tow us to a service station offered to let us camp in his garden. Ever keen to meet people and to accept offers of generosity, I said that would be perfect. Accordingly, we arrived at his house. He had confirmed with his wife that she was okay with his offer to find a home of most amazing apparent chaos. <laughs> Everywhere, the roads on two sides filled with campers, tow trucks, other vehicles in various states of disrepair, the two garages filled with all kinds of mechanical bits and pieces, the veranda half used as an overflow for household items, the kitchen with all counters 18 inches deep in utensils and a myriad others, other objects, the bathroom which seemed to be no one's obligation to clean, <laughs> and so on and so on. My overriding feeling about where we found ourselves, how utterly incredible that anyone can be so un unselfconscious as to invite strangers back to such a home <laughs> which social conditioning would generally deem as an incredible mess. <laughs> this, this surely is generosity in the extreme. <laughs> I was really moved by this. <laughs> because in a way, I, when I read it, I thought, wow, you know, this is really a metaphor for ourselves. I mean, a lot of times we feel in a complete mess. No, we really just wonder how we're going to cope another day. But yet, the possibility of being so unselfconscious about it Oh, come on in, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, I'm just feeling a mess today. <laughs> the house is in chaos, and, you know, things are piled up. I haven't done anything for a week. and uh, But it doesn't matter. Come in, have a cup of tea, you know. That incredible spirit of, spirit of generosity. You know, I thought, yes, that's, that's what we're talking about. That really unselfconscious way of being about all of this condition. <coughs> this condition that we find ourselves in, because really, what's the problem? <laughs> so we're having a bad day. <laughs> we say a bad hair day. You know, I'm having a bad hair day. You know, so what? Invite the guests in. This is the spirit, you know, that spirit where really that sense of ourself, the self making such a big deal out of it, the sense of ourself just starts to take a back seat. And then we just are where we are. We feel what we feel. And the amazing thing is that a quite a lot of the pain and the suffering and the dissatisfaction that we're feeling about our life, ourself, our condition starts to drop away. It's really quite remarkable when we start to see that so much of the pain that we feel, we're just generating through our view, just through the way we're looking at it. It's really quite remarkable. Okay. 
maybe I'll end with just a quote from dear Punjaji, one of my teachers who died last year from India. Nothing belongs to you. It is all like the breeze. Leave your mind as free as the breeze by not clinging to anything. This is the secret to happiness. Enjoy the garden, but do not cling to anything. Let's sit quietly for a few minutes. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings live with wisdom. May all beings know the truth of their existence. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.